the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I'm co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is a leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember the time to set up your line of credit is now, not when you actually or the emergency actually comes up. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Stephen King from Growth Force. From technical founder to nonprofit, CFO, and fundraiser, Stephen King brings a unique combination of vision, foresight, and experience to help nonprofits maximize their cash flow and operational efficiency. He's been a dedicated board member of many nonprofit organizations, including seven years working for Amnesty International USA, where he was the Director of Development and Chief Financial Officer. His time at Amnesty reinforced Steve's lifelong commitment to giving back to the community through charitable causes. Regarded as one of the accounting industry's top thought leaders, he's, ser- he's currently serving as president and CEO of Growth Force, which nonprofits now represent 35% of their clients. Stephen, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Stephen, thanks for having me. So uh, today's topic is five steps to nonprofit success after COVID. And what's interesting is I think I had, uh, you know, months and months and months ago, I had five steps to surviving COVID for nonprofits. (laughs) Now we have five steps to nonprofit success after COVID. Um, you know, the, the adage used to be that um, in a recession, that's when uh, businesses got better. Right. Do you think that COVID uh, made nonprofits get better? I think the smart ones, absolutely. And that's kind of what we're seeing in our clients, the ones who use this time to sharpen the saw, as they say. Um, have have come out of this in a much stronger position, both on um, the service delivery side, on the development side, and just really helping to narrowly focus your energy on the things that matter. What do you think it says that if your nonprofit did not do well during COVID? I think, what, what does it tell you? Well, COVID's not over. It's not yeah, too, right. it's not too late, course. right? This is, of course. you know, the reason we're doing this is because this is the time to do it now, right? You're kind of into phase two. And you know, this, the, the, the recession in, the, in your example, Stephen, or COVID in this example, is just kind of an excuse to step back from the, the hamster's wheel, right? The running of the, of the organization every day and, and step back and work on the organization, not just in the organization. So it's not too late, uh, especially now when, you know, you're coming into the end of the year and that means end of the summer means starting to plan for year end year end, meaning you've got your biggest fundraising pieces ahead of you. 
You've got the 2022 budget process ahead of you. And, and this is the perfect time to start looking at how do you come out of this whenever we do come out of it stronger, maybe smaller, but stronger, but um, focused and, and, and having more outcomes that drive your mission. Yeah, you know, we, we, we have a survey that's going to be coming out that um, we're, we're getting the final results from a couple, a couple more um, people, but that two out of three uh, small nonprofits under 5 million did better during COVID than worse. Our, our data would completely support that. And, yeah. and it was really shocking. You know, we started to see that um, at the end of 2020. And as you know, you get into November, December, how many of our clients and our friends, their, their year end gala netted more because they didn't have to rent, you know, here in, in, in Houston, Texas, the Hotel Zaza, you know, and, and a master's ceremonies and a band and, you know, all of the costs that go for your big fundraiser. Um, the donors still want to make the donation. The gala, you know, I, I was, I'm uniquely positioned because while I was at Amnesty, I was the CFO first, right? I, I joined two weeks after Bruce Springsteen, U2, Peter Gabriel, and Sting finished a worldwide human rights now tour. And Amnesty grew from $6 million to $18 million in, in revenue in a year and mm. a half. And, and mm. I left Ernst & Young and came over to help put the infrastructure in place. And what's fascinating is you, you know, I then took over fundraising and I realized that finance should work for fundraising. Because if the fundraisers have the data that they need to tell the story, it, it changes the ability to write a case statement. And so, you know, now when you're looking at the end of the year and, and last year, the nonprofits who, who did better, they know that it's not the top line that matters, right? It's not how much you brought in at the gala. It's how much you netted, what, you, what you're able to keep. And for those of us, those organizations who are able to pivot, they did do better because their their costs to acquire a donor or their cost to acquire a dollar went down. And the service delivery models in some cases, you know, just like um, everybody now expects to be able to go online and make a reservation for a haircut, <laughs> you know, that didn't happen before COVID. The customer experience got better. The donor experience got better. The, the customer experience or the patient experience got better in the nonprofits as well. So I agree with you, Stephen, completely. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to say, uh, interesting, I'm sure for many of our listeners, isn't the best word. Um, but, you know, anecdotally, it seemed that people stepped up to give more money in the nonprofits because they knew that it was a trying time, right? Income was actually up. Savings was up. Well, uh, I don't know if income's up. I know savings was up. So, you know, maybe uh, the the people making the, the donations, you know, increased the amount they were giving. I know I did personally because of the situation they knew, knew the nonprofits were in. Well, you know, that was a year ago. 18 months ago. So it'll be interesting to see in 2022 if, uh, if people still feel the same way. Has there, has there been situations like this before? And, you know, let's again, COVID is the uh, code word for recessions. That's really what it is. You know, we, we really had a recession. 
right? And we have a recession every 10 years, a major one every 10 years. So during recessions, do nonprofits typically do worse, better overall? Yeah, I, I, I've been a CPA serving nonprofits and small businesses for 36 years. So this is my seventh recession and you're 100% right. It's seven to 10 years. I remember the first board meeting at Amnesty International, which was a big board, 24 board members, and they're all wow. like luminaries. You know, this is not, yeah, you know, not like, a working board. My, it's not a working board. And if not, yeah. you know, like the local nonprofits here, you know, they're not the local banker. You know, it's, 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 um, it's mark it's leaders in the human rights world right with the world's largest human rights organization you'd expect that i remember going to the to the board in the first 1989 1990 in that time frame the first time i had to go to a board and say a a recession is part of a healthy economy and so what we need to do now is we need to use this as an opportunity to evaluate all of our programs what worked and what didn't what are the outcomes that we need in order to have success. And, you know, an outcome is the change that directly happens as a result of your program. And it's gotta be measurable and intended. And so it's important to, to use this, you know, even though that we did, we technically had a very short recession, right? Because yes. the government injected, you know, trillions of dollars, that meant that we didn't go into the deep recession. But you're 100% right, Steve. It's the it's the effect of a recession. But to answer your question, normally donors donations go down in a recession because people lose their jobs and they and they have less they have fear of losing their jobs and they don't have spending confidence. Right? That's usually what causes the recession is the lack of confidence in the in the in the in the in the, in the buyer's market. In this case a lot of people lost their jobs, right? We went to, you know, at one point, almost 9% unemployment, but we quickly got back down, right? We're at 5.5% unemployment, which is yep. darn near full employment. And so I think the donors this year were different because they did have the savings from not traveling and not going out to eat dinner and, you know, not all the discretionary expenses we have. And they had, you know, or they had supplemental income coming in through, you know, spouses who got, unemployment insurance or whatever it was, we weren't all hurt. But I think what's going to happen in 2022 is it's not the same as donor fatigue, you know, where you, 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 you cry wolf only so many times and people are like, okay, well, I can't make, I can't make a difference in there. I think there's a, it's a little bit different this time in that just like everybody who has spent the last year working remotely most of us took this as an opportunity to kind of evaluate our lives and say, what kind of, what kind of work do I want to do? What kind of, how do I want to do that work? Do I want to be in an office? And, and the same thing I think is true with our donations. It's like, you know, how do I want to make a difference in the world? And I, and I think what we're seeing is the organizations that do a good job of showing the donors the tangible result of their gift. Like what are the outcomes that happen from a contribution? actually increase the spending. The Society of Fundraising Executives says if you if you show the donor the tangible result, the, the return on investment from their contribution, you're going to raise more money. You're going to get higher average gifts and you're going to get more frequent gifts. And to me, that's kind of what our five steps program has been designed to do is to help nonprofits get that 
specific with their donors. And, and that's how you get through a recession and how you thrive in good times. Yeah, you know, I have two things to add to that. One of them is, I think, some good information. And that is, so because we, you know, we're, we're the largest provider of lines of credit through small for two small nonprofits in the United States, we, uh, we really saw um, the PPP money coming in for the nonprofits. So in other words is, you know, of course, when we're looking at approving uh, a client, we're looking at their bank statements and, and, uh, and their 990, but more, more important, their bank statements. And so we could see the, 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 uh, the inflow flow of uh, the PPP money. I would tell you that if the nonprofits had not gotten that money, they would have really have been hurting. Oh, yeah. Everyone. You know, and across, yes, every single one of them, right? So, um, I mean, it, it, it really helped our business um, because clients who had money outstanding were able to pay it off uh, uh, or, or to make sure they made their payments, which was good. And, uh, and, and we, we, we also tend to be a very flexible organization, too, with our clients. But, um, so, but if that money was not there, it, it really would have hurt the nonprofits. Um, but, yeah. but that money is now gone. It, that's right. And so, and so what we're advising our clients and, and spending a lot of time, you know, Growth Force does outsourced controller management, accounting, and bookkeeping services for our nonprofit clients, right? So we complement the in-house staff. And what we're sitting down, we, you know, we teach executive directors how not just to, we don't just give them a financial report. We teach them how to read and interpret so they're ready for the board questions. We teach them how to anticipate the questions the finance committee will answer. We'll help them, you know, attend the finance committee meetings if that's what they needed to get them up to speed. But what we're doing right now is saying, okay, you, now is the time to start really analyzing what worked and what didn't work in your program. That's step one. Step two is to evaluate how do you spend your money on each of those programs? What are the economics? Economics meaning what's the revenue you bring in and what is the cost to, to serve a cl each client, each program. And then measure that by person served or whatever your unit is. And, and, and then you can start to, that's step two, right? Number one is what's, evaluate what works, what doesn't work. And, and number two is that's, how does your money get spent? Then number three is how, what programs do you stop? Which programs do you start? Or which ones should you just continue? And we have a whole stack ranking program on that. And then you get to where we are right now, which is going into the fall is revising the plans. Okay, so start to think about based on what programs we want to add and or which ones we want to stop, how does that impact the for the plan, the budget, the goals? And then once the board approves that, then use that to raise more money. And and you know, I, I got I love the story of how we did this first with the Fort Bend Women's Shelter. You know, they're, a, they're a, an organization whose mission is to help break the cycle of homelessness and abuse of women in Houston area. And the board, before going through these five steps, used to look at the, six, the organization's success and say, we've got 112 beds, we're full every night, and so we're really doing well. But step one starts with the mission. What's your, what are the outcomes that help further the mission the most? And their mission is not to help house the homeless. Their mission is to help break the cycle of homelessness and abuse. 
And so what they found was what, what works and what doesn't, the number one thing that worked was vocational training. When you help someone get their first job, she's not likely to go back to that the home of the abuser. And so they realized then that this training program breaks the cycle of homelessness. And that's the number one in our stack ranking program that, that impacted the, the mission the most by quantifying the exact costs of whatever it took to expand that program. They hired a new position. They wanted to hire a new position. And then the number of women that could complete the training, they found that donors were happy to give more because they could see how that contribution impacted the agencies and its clients. And that's really what this is all about. Yeah. Let's go back to what you said. Um, And I've had a couple of podcasts that do exactly what you said, which is, you know, really communicating to uh, your donors what you're doing and and the results that they're getting from their money, yep. and and I'll make I'll make a preposition here. Uh, I'm not I'm not in the nonprofit industry. I am on nonprofit. I am on a nonprofit board. But if if you were to really really uh, as an executive director really uh, show what the um, what the money does for your uh, uh, for your donation and and to really tell stories right yes. that are compelling i bet you we didn't have to try to go get new cl- uh, new um, donors i bet you your existing donors would be the mouthpiece for you to get other referrals you know now i mean i'm exaggerating no, you're right. not. You're not. You're 100 percent oh. right because those are the people who are already committed to the organization. And if you're if you're looking for general contributions, if you're looking for you know at the end of the year you have a nice case statement that talks about the people that are served, and you talk about how you make a difference, and it's broad, you will not raise as much as if you are specific. I mean, it's just statistically proven from the Society of Fundraising Executives. And the Fort Bend Women's Shelter is a great example. They were able to go back to their donors and get that program fully funded from from existing contributors. Why? Because it's a different story. It's a different case study when you can say, listen, if we can, $100,000 allows us to go out and hire a vocational training program. And that, you know, when you do your case statement, you have to include not just the salary, but all of the fully loaded benefits, right? But you also are need to include the cost of the office. There's going to be some of the executive director's time that's going to be needed to provide the direction and guidance to the program. All that overhead, you know, every program has to absorb its share of the overhead. And so when you add it all up, it might only cost you $55,000 for a vocational training person, but it's a $100,000 program when you're able to really show this is the cost, right? There is There is a computer and paper and other things that you need. And then when you're able to, but more importantly, when you can take that contribution and you divide it by the number of clients served and show you the cost of the clients, now you can start to measure the economics of each outcome. That's what shows you the the ROI, the return on investment for each program, for each client or each service that you provide. Yeah, just to add on to that, one of the podcasts uh, I did with uh, one of my guests, he said the biggest mistake that nonprofits make is that they don't add enough of their internal cost. The um, what's the term? Joint cost, uh, joint cost allocation. Uh, 
Yeah, they they don't do enough of that. Yeah, um, you know, they're 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 indirect costs also yes. as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, just to add on to that, because I think that was an, it's an important message. Um, yeah, I think that if if uh, if people walked away with this, and, and you know, I, I'm seeing it. I, I think this is like my fiftieth fiftieth podcast for the nonprofit MBA, and I'm seeing the theme over uh, over again, and you know, and that. Even prior to the podcast, which started in December of 2019, you know, the big word before that was storytelling, 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 right? But what I'm seeing now is there's a lot of tools that are coming out and and the storytelling idea about showing what you're doing to, to prove to people um, that you are really delivering on the dollars just grows that revenue base uh, from from your existing clients. I mean, I had one um, uh, a company that was on, uh, they're called, uh, not Boomerang. Oh, I can't think of it right now. I'll, I'll think of it in a second. But what they did was they made it videos. They made it easy for you on your phone to easily send out videos to your donors um, allowing you to really capture real life situations of how you're helping people. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, you know, giving people the power to make it easy to tell a story um, is, is, is another leap from what we're hearing about storytelling. Well, I, I, I would violently agree with you that storytelling is the secret to the game, but I, the, the piece that I think where most accounting departments fail their executive directors and their development offices is the numbers have to tell the story. You have to organize, you know, we specialize in QuickBooks, which has got 88% market share for a reason, right? It's, a, it's superbly powerful, but most people only use it for a, like a checkbook, right? A digital checkbook and to get them through an audit. When you structure QuickBooks based on getting the reports to show you whatever donations or earned income you have for each program and the expenses for each program. So you can see how much, how much does development have to raise or, and then divide that easily by the number of people served. You, you're, you're going to changes the whole economics, right? And what that, and if you structure the accounting system to tell the story, development has a much easier job. You know, we have another, uh, uh, client, the uh, Torture Abolition and uh, uh, Support Services Coalition task in Washington, D.C. And uh, Leonce is the uh, executive director. And he, we went through these five steps programs and he was trying to look at, we got to step two, the economics of each program. And he said, okay, if you, what's the number one program that would impact your mission the most? And he wanted to hire a caseworker, somebody who would be a lawyer who would help they have 20 other lawyers who are willing to volunteer and do pro bono legal work to help people apply refugee status. Well, that one person's outcomes are exponential because they're now hiring one person means you get 20 attorneys. So by going through and looking at the, the costs again, you know, just a round number, hundred thousand dollars of cost. And then the outcomes that happen, you know, if each person's able to work on 10 cases a month, 20 people means you can, adding one person adds 200 cases a month 
he he literally left our our session and then he went out to meet with somebody for lunch and they said you know what do you what if you if you were to get an extra hundred thousand dollars what would you use it for and he knew exactly what he would use it for and exactly what the outcomes were and exactly what the impact was of contribution and he came back to our meeting two weeks later he's like you're not going to believe this i've already raised a hundred thousand dollars more based on just having the data so that's a, a the numbers have to tell your story and especially you know the the development story it's why you know most successful nonprofits will be able to say Sally Struthers at two o'clock in the morning you know for for nineteen cents a day you can save the life of a dog or a cat that works it's really important for the numbers to tell the story yeah by the way, the name of that company that does the video is called Bonjoro, b o n j o r o that I mentioned before and they're an Australian company but they have a big presence in the United States and it helps you get the the story out through video but um yeah, I, you know, I, I had another podcaster on and I'm sorry, another guest on, and he said it, that the podcast was about how to grow your revenue. And he said, the number one way to grow your revenue is to, to, uh, for nonprofits anyway, is actually to increase the, your head count. Cause he, he, you know, that he basically said that the biggest problem that small nonprofits have is that, that they stay small because they never make that investment. Well, it's and, chicken or egg, right? Yeah. So, so you gotta I, have the money, right? I, I would, I would suggest that what you do is you, 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 uh, you, you know, step, go to step three. Which programs do you stop, start, or continue, and then do a stack ranking of your programs and the people that you need in order for those programs to be effective, and the way you rank them. It's very simple. It's a sophisticated concept, but you know, it comes back to zero-based budgeting is really the fundamental concept. But we've simplified this because our our nonprofits are you know one to twenty million in revenue, right? So they're small. You want to analyze each program based on does it help increase the quality of the services you provide? Does it improve the quantity? You serve more people as a result of adding this program. Or is this a money raiser, right? You can you can earn some income. Some of these, some of our clients get paid for their services, and you know there's there's margin to be made. And you rank them. One is this is the best. Two is yeah, this is okay, it's good, but it's not the best. Then three is nah, it's 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 the it's a good, but it's the least impactful. And what that then what you do is you multiply the number you gave for quality, for quantity, and money. So if it's number one in quality and it's number one in quantity and it's number one in money, this is your number <laughs> one it. program. And yeah. then if it's a three in quality and it's a three in quantity, but you might bring in some money, it's a one in money, that's a nine. So now you've got a stack ranking, right? And what you do is then you go to the donors and say, listen, I, I, here's an, a great example, the Fort Bend Women's Shelter. After the second year of doing this, they raised a lot of money. They added full-time staff after they raise the money okay so i don't believe that i don't think you know you go out and hire people then hope god will break will take care of you right you gotta you gotta have the funding in order to make an offer to somebody but right. what what you can do is you can go in there and say listen i i've got this program i want to hire somebody it's a hundred thousand dollars can you help me by making a contribution of x and when you in the Fort Bend Women's Shelter, they were not a, only able to raise the money for that program, but what they found was after one year, 
they needed to start a new program. They did the start, stop, continue, step three. And they said, we need to add some neural serv services, some psychological services, because these, our women, our, 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 our clients are not ready to, to get that first job. They finish the vocational training and they don't believe in themselves. They're not worthy of that job. And so now going back to the same donors, they're able to say, listen, this is what we learned and this is what we're going to do. And the donors are happy to continue to invest in the development of the program. Or if not, this is a great thing to go to your, you know, to your people who are not major donors, but who are just small donors. And based on your, your knowledge and your research about their capacity to go to them and ask them if they would like to help you expand that program. And that's what Leon did. He had, you know, some, he was not a major donor, but he was able to show them what the value of being a, major, a donor would be. And when you can show the donor the tangible result, you know, if you, if you invest in these, in these psychological services, we are going to be able to get five more people to break the cycle of homelessness abuse. That's how you raise more money. So um, I think you said earlier unless it was different, the five steps to nonprofit success after COVID, is that, you mentioned all these different steps. Was yeah. that the five steps? That's Well, step one is, you know, what are the outcomes that best further the mission? Okay. Right? So that's the most important. It starts with the mission. Yep. Step, step two is to analyze the economics, right? What is the, what is the revenue that you've got on each program? What is the cost of each program? And then divide that by the number of people that get served. So you can see the cost per person served. So then, so you, so, you know, you understand the, the outcomes, you understand the cost of each outcome. And now then step three is do an analysis of which ones do you stop? Which ones do you start? Which ones do you continue? And that then allows you then to go to step four, which is revise the plan. You know, the simple act of writing things down will increase your likelihood of success by 82% according to Harvard. So by, by looking at this and putting it in writing and sharing it with your management team and your staff and then going to the board and saying, here's what we propose, then you, you're, it allows you to get everyone aligned around those goals. And then you, everyone knows what do you need money for? And you go out to step five and raise the money. And, and the, you know, the, 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 to me, the most exciting part of my, my life is the fundraising side. You know, being able to show, your, show you the program efficiency and the number of people served really lets you help make sure that the donors know how, how efficiently you're running the organization and, the, and they really understand the, the, the impact of your contribution. You're going you're gonna to get a client for, you're going to get a donor for life. The, the, the last step in step five to me, which is kind of one of the secret sauce is the monthly giving program. You know, I, 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 I see thousands of small nonprofits financial statements and cash flow is the single most important issue. It's really hard. Nonprofits are way more difficult to run than for-profits. I've done both. And the single biggest challenge is you got a gala at the end of the year or you're don't, you got your major donors that give money in November, December, and you know, first two weeks of January. You got an event in the fall. I mean, in the spring, you got a golf outing of some sort but it's really tough to get through those dog days of summer. July and August is really hard, September. And so cash flow becomes easier to handle when you calculate the cost to serve each person and you show how many lives are impacted as a result of the gift and then ask your individual donors to make a monthly gift 
to cover something tangible. If you've got somebody who's giving you $1,000 every year, go to them and drop, drop a zero. Ask them to give you $100 every month. And there's a lot of programs that automate this. You know, it's really easy to, to do automated monthly giving now with QuickBooks. And what happens is you've just increased your fundraising by 20%. Instead of getting 1,000, you're getting 1,200. If somebody gave you $500, ask them to give you $50 a month. Now you've gone up to $600. And, and, and I think that's the single biggest uh, way to solve cash flow problems is invest in that sustainer program, that monthly giving program. And there's a couple of secrets there. Number one, you want to name it something. You want people to feel like they're part of something special. And then on a monthly basis, you need to cultivate that donor. You need to, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to solicit them anymore because they're already giving you what you've asked for. Right? So what you do is you, you cultivate them by getting, sending them pictures of the people who are in the psychological training course or the people, the, the, the caseworker or a picture of the refugee or a person who's going through vocational training and make, get, build that personal connection on a monthly basis through some cultivation mailings and then do a, a, a stewardship report. You know, what's nice about setting up the accounting system to be able to show the donors the, t the, act the tangible result of the gift. QuickBooks can then easily generate actual reports the same way. So you can go back then and say, you give us $500 a month and here's what we did at the end of the year. We were able to serve this many people. These many people broke the cycle of homelessness and abuse, thanks to you. And then you go to them and you ask for one and a half times their highest previous contribution and say, can you give me $600 a month? You know, because here's what we're going to do with it. Does that make sense? I keep in, yeah, I keep in mind, is it easier to ask someone for $500 uh, or is it easier to ask for them at $50 a month? Which is, which is easier to it me? It depends on, yeah. the, depends on the, it's going to take the same amount of work. It depends on the donor's capacity to give. Depends yeah. on, you know, don't, don't, fundraising is a series of concentric circles. How close are they to the mission? You know, if they're passionate about it, if somebody came to me for $50 a month for a, for a um, nonprofit that I was passionate about, they'd be leaving $450 a month on the table. I get you. Yeah. You know, there's a common theme in every single step that you talk about, and it comes down to me to one word. Uh, or, uh, well, it's two words, the numbers. Mm -hmm. You got to know your numbers. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, my company, we provide lines of credit to nonprofits and small businesses. And so when you're dealing with small businesses that are under $5 million in size, when, and, and, and certainly I, I fit into this having built a couple of companies, you, you, you grow as a business owner as you grow as a business owner, and, and I believe as you grow as an executive director, you start to focus on the numbers. Whereas, you know, as an executive director or a, the owner of a small business, they, they get in, you know, servicing the client. You know, that's what they do. Right. Right. But then as you start to grow, you start to you used the word earlier, work on the business or work yes. on the nonprofit. Yes. And that's when you start to really get into the numbers. And I think that's the key for what you're talking about. You gotta know your numbers. Yeah. I mean, the biggest challenge is, you know, most organizations are, are that the 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 executive directors didn't go get an MBA. 
right? They're, you know, they're, they're social workers, they're lawyers, they're, they've got, you know, degrees that are relevant to serving the mission and, and finance is typically not part of that training. And so that's why what we do is focus so much on teaching the executive directors and the, and the program managers to read and interpret the results because, you know, most, I'm a CPA, been a CPA for 35 years. I had my own CPA firm. You know, our industry is designed for compliance. It's designed for the audit and make sure you can check that box. It's designed for the 990. And we're, we're not really traditional account, financial accountants are not designed for what we call reliance, right? They're all about compliance. And so what you want is a management accountant, somebody who in a for-profit or a nonprofit, because nonprofits are harder to run than for-profits, you really got to have the data because there's fewer levers to pull. And then when you've got a board, you know, most for-profits do not have a board unless you, unless you got outside investors. And, you know, it's expensive. Accounting staff are expensive. It's very difficult to find talented people. Very few people go get an MBA in finance or become a CPA and then decide to take 40% less salary to work for a nonprofit. And, and how many nonprofits can afford a $125,000 controller? Not a lot. So you end up with these self-taught staff, which gives you a high risk of fraud, and struggles with the managed reports and the financial reports. And they're two different things. What, what, what I'm suggesting is that you need the financial reports. You need the CPA. You got to get through an audit. You got to do the 990. But for the data to make decisions, for the data to show the donors what you're getting for the board to be able to make stay strategic, you need management reporting, management accounting. And that's, you know, the, the one simple takeaway for people who are listening, you know, labor is your biggest expense by far. It's all about the labor cost, right? So you need to allocate the labor cost based on the work that people do. What does that mean? It means what we suggest is put in time tracking. For QuickBooks users, you use T-Sheets. It's the single best time tracking system out there. In fact, Intuit bought them, and now it's included in QuickBooks Online Advanced for free. Intuit Timesheets is what they rebranded it. But what that means is that on your phone, you know, we talked about getting at the start of this, using this pandemic period to get better, to having a getting better agenda. That to me is the single most important step is to implement a simple time tracking system on your phone that a person can say, okay, I'm starting to work on this program or in, and the executive directors in particular. I see far too many executive directors to your earlier point about indirect cost and overhead allocations. So many, and I was just at a board meeting last week in the audit committee meeting and the entire executive director salary was below the line in overhead. Why? Because they're, that's what they thought. And the auditor is not going to suggest that you allocate it to programs. But if you're out there talking to the, in this case, the Rotary Club, or you're educating the community about your programs, or you're working or walking around the office with the program staff, that's program work. And so having the ability to track the time and, and automatically allocate your labor costs every time you run payroll is a game changer. And it's, it's cost nothing you know, when you use QuickBooks, because that's one of the most, pa one of those powerful functions that most people don't even know exists. Oh, that's a great idea. And then yeah. once you've got the labor cost above the line, charged to a program or charged to a department or charged to a grant, then you hit a button and now you can see the profitability of the program, the profit of how the money on the grant got spent. 
And that's magic. And, that's magic. And the, what's nice about that too is um, you. it's an easy sell to your staff to tell them now that they have to do that because, you know, we're now going to allocate it to the different programs. So it's not like you're checking up on them, you know, which might be some of the pushback you get. You know, I get that from uh, my, our web uh, developers and our technology guys, they use something called Clockify. And, and so I get to see where all of the time is spent um, when, when they're doing their projects. And I, I love it. I think it's really great. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, good stuff. I mean, I think that all the things that you've mentioned, Stephen, are, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention is, I listen, numbers scare people. Yeah. And they think that they don't know. They're like, oh, I, I, and believe me, I'm not a really great numbers guy either. Okay. I know that sounds funny coming from a finance guy, but I've had to learn it. Okay. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that helped me a long time ago was I had a, a, a coach. And, and so I can see, Steve, where you would be great for an executive director to, to bring you on and say, I want to get really good at numbers. I want to get really good. I want to define our KPIs, which is key performance indicators. I really want to migrate in this, but I need you to not only help us organize it, but then help us to understand what the numbers mean. And so that we're self-sufficient in six months, yes. whatever. Yes. hundred you know? percent. That, that is our reason for living. I, I have, we have a whole bunch of case studies on our website and what, what gives me the most joy is the not the executive directors who say, what I love is that I first, you know, really depended on you first to teach me, you know, what are the terms and what is the, what is the things that I need to be paying attention to? Because I'm not even, it's a foreign language for most executive directors. And then over a six month period to be able to show you how to read and interpret those results, how to anticipate the questions that a finance committee is going to ask, and then to be able to speak with confidence about it and to do it in real time. When a, when a director of development can go in to QuickBooks themselves and pull up the memorized report that they need to be able to see how much does it cost us to run this program because you're writing a foundation grant. And instead of what normally happens is you go to the, the bookkeeper or the office manager or the person who has the controller title but doesn't have an accounting degree and you say, hey, I need to know how much do, will it cost us because there's a, there's a foundation that's willing to fund this program that we have. Now there's a there's a fire drill for somebody to go in there and just says, well, the salary is $55,000. What else do you need? And, and that's just, the, you know, I like to say the emphasis is on the wrong syllable, right? <laughs> the accountant is not shouldn't focus on the audit and the tax return and just getting a board package out with a balance sheet and income statement, but helping the organization grow. That's why we're called growth force. You know, with to help the executive director grow, to grow their financial intelligence skills. So, Stephen, you just nailed. This is why we exist. This is why God put us on earth. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the other thing I would say to our listeners too is, at least fifty percent of your donors are probably business people, and if you start focusing on the numbers, you're focusing on their language. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, you wouldn't go to someone who speaks Spanish and, and talk to them in French, right? You, you got to sometimes talk in the, their same language. And so they're, you know, I think the thing that, uh, 
you know, we're, we have to wrap this up, but I, you know, uh, I think the thing that we, you know, really covered today was, you know, really uh, a great, great uh, case about understanding your numbers, knowing your numbers, getting help from a coach like Steve, um, how that's really going to make your organization survive after Kevin, after COVID. And I, and I agree with you, Steve, you know, we got another year to go on this probably. And, you know, we're probably going to, you know, right now that's that we're at a hundred thousand cases again, back with the Delta uh, virus a day. and a day, a day, excuse me. And, uh, and then there's another one around the corner. So, you know, it, it's going to be, it, you know, it's, it's not over yet, but, and like you said, you know, or like we said, every seven to 10 years, you go through another recession. So, um, so I, I'd like to thank so very much, Stephen King from growth force for coming on to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you liked today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Steve, if someone wants to get in touch with you, um, how would they go about doing that? So if anybody's struggling with financial management or just not getting actionable insights for, for the executive team or the board and want trying to make smarter decisions and raise more money, go to growthforce.com, G-R-O-W-T-H, force.com, slash N-F-P, as in non-for-profit. And there's a form that you can fill out. You can start a conversation with one of our teams and get some advice right away. And that'll get you on our email list. We have a lot of nonprofit resources. We have a webinar series. We have videos. We have podcasts. We have ebooks, slide shares, just, you know, all organized based on the helpful things that people want. And of course, you can unsubscribe at any time. You can reach me. Email is the best way to reach me. It's Stephen, S T E P H E N, at growthforce.com. Or LinkedIn is LinkedIn slash Stephen King CPA. I'm also on Twitter at SKing, GeForce. So there's lots of ways to reach me. And I'm, I, this is what I love to do is help answer questions from executive directors and board members. Great. And it's obvious uh, that you have a passion for it. And that's great. Um, so, uh, Steve, thanks for coming on today. Stephen, thanks for having me. It was fun. For all you that are out there that are listening, um, thank you for making the world a better place. We all need to do our part and you all do more than your share of your part. The rest of us has to keep trying to do our part. Everybody have a fantastic day. Get outside, smell the roses and enjoy uh, being a part of helping uh, the world get better. See you later, everybody.